1: And so we come to the end of yet another week on Political Rewind, another week with uh, tumultuous political news that we've been talking about Um, just about every day during the week. We've uh, been talking about the ongoing civil war among GOP leaders, Um, attacks, accusations coming out of Washington, out of the Trump campaign uh, uh, among members of Congress up there. And and maybe more disturbingly for those of us here in the state, within George's own political ranks, Republicans have been uh, feuding over the uh, outcome of the election. Uh, it, Amelia Brock said a, a little while ago that it feels to her almost like an existential crisis in the state um, because we're on such uncertain ground within the Republican Party It's a question of what values are they going to uphold and how are they going to be paying attention to the will of the voters? Um, Nevertheless, despite the infighting, the Electoral College does meet on Monday, and there's no reason to believe that the college won't confirm what we already know, which is that Joe Biden will be our next president, and yet the ripple effect Continues here in Georgia from efforts to restrict mail-in voting to a constitutional amendment that would allow Legislators not voters to choose a secretary of state as I mentioned at the very top of the show so we have so much uh, to talk about uh, today and uh, I'm glad we have a great panel to uh, look at what's happening Uh, We're joined as I always am on Mondays and Fridays by my partner Jim Galloway the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal Constitution his uh, Sunday column is already available. I think Jim, we can see it. He, your columns appear, of course, on Wednesdays and Sundays, and you oversee the Political Insider blog.
2: Is the Sunday column posted? It is. It is. It went up last night. I just figured it was. Uh, it's a uh, it touched on a topic that was a little too important just to, to delay. It's about the about exactly what you talked. The the split between uh, state capital based Republicans and D.C. based Republicans from Georgia. Yeah. Uh, And I'll tell you what, Sam, uh, why don't we post
1: that so that uh, people can uh, read it if they want to online. They can also, of course, see it at AJC.com. We're also joined today by the CEO of DeKalb County, Michael Thurmond, who has been in public life in elected office for most of his career, starting when he was the first African-American legislator house member elected in Athens, Georgia, moving through a career as labor commissioner. He was DeKalb's state school superintendent. He ran for the U.S. Senate back in 2010 and now is the CEO of the county. How are you doing, Michael?
3: I'm holding up. Tolerably well, Bill, and uh, delighted to be with you this morning.
1: (laughs) Well, we're really glad to have you here. Uh, We're also joined by Edward Lindsay, former state representative, represented the city of Atlanta uh, back when uh, uh, the— what were your years in the legislature, Edward? I I always forget those. Uh,
4: 2005 through 2014.
1: Okay, a pretty good run, actually, (laughs) uh, for for you. Thank you for being here. And I'm really happy to have back Patricia Murphy, who um, during her years on the show has worn many hats. And, of course, as you all know out there. One uh, she's wearing now is, is an AJC political reporter, Patricia. I said to you right before the show went on the air, "Your this new job for you, you are working so hard." And I wonder if you wake up some mornings and say, "Oh my God, I had no idea I'd be working this hard." <laughs> uh,
0: well, I and I mentioned to you beforehand, the only thing that's falling through the cracks are my poor children's laundry. That's the one thing I need to really buckle down. <laughs> but everything else is going great. Thank you. <laughs>
1: Okay. well, we're glad. We're so glad to have you back on the show today. Um, Jim, as we start, I need to read uh, before we dig into all the issues we've got. uh, I mean, it's hard to say that a Trump tweet is bizarre because this bar is so low. But this one, which he posted about 50 minutes ago. Let me read it, Jim. Now that the Biden administration will be a scandal-plagued mess for years to come, it is much easier for the Supreme Court of the United States to follow the Constitution and do what everybody knows has to be done. They must show great, great courage and wisdom, save the USA. So, Jim, now this isn't a matter of constitutional law. This is a matter of asking the Supreme Court to decide who is a more worthy uh, person to be president for the next four years. That and it's an acknowledgement there will be a Biden administration.
2: Uh, yeah, it is. It is that, and uh, of course, uh, I think I, it's pretty clear that Trump is talking about uh, Hunter Biden, uh, uh, Joe Biden's son, who's uh, who who announced a couple of days ago that uh, that he is under investigation by the IRS on tax issues. I, you know, it's it if if you compare that. Uh, we do ha- we do have right now a sitting u.s president who is also under investigation uh, by, mm-hmm. uh, by 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 uh, the the New York AG so uh, the equivalency uh, uh, of this thing escapes me
1: um, Edward let me t- look Edward I have said for two weeks now that being a Republican, Uh, On the show these days is not an easy thing. I mean, we try to be as balanced as we possibly can But as I've said over and over again, sometimes balance does not mean giving in to the many lies that are coming out of the Trump campaign in their attempt to overturn a Democratic election But Edward when you hear something like that tweet What do you make of what the president is doing?
4: Well, the president is trying to cling on to power in any way that he can. Uh, you know, he is pursuing, uh, legal remedies, which are, which is his right, uh, if he believes there to be a wrong. And then he is trying to exert some kind of political pressure on, uh, these various states and on the, uh, and on the judicial system. That is outside the bounds of, of acceptable conduct and quite frankly the texas lawsuit is more political than it is legal in nature um you know on on so many bases uh you know the georgia and other states responded uh last night to it and uh, they do a pretty good job uh tearing apart uh the merits of the of the texas lawsuit and like uh, many others have mentioned many other lawyers have mentioned uh i don't see the supreme court uh, picking this case up, I see them dismissing it very,
1: very handily. Yeah, uh, Patricia, let's let's delve into this lawsuit filed by the Attorney General of the state of Texas, who is a huge Trump supporter, uh, always has been. Uh, he is asking the Supreme Court essentially to throw out the votes of people in four states—Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Georgia—four battleground states that. Joe Biden won and which certainly gave him the margin he needed, gave him the electoral votes he needed to go over the top. Um, It's a it's a there's never been any suit quite like this where the attorney general of one state decides to step into the politics of another. And Patricia, as I come to ask you a little bit about this, let me read from the filing that did come from the four AGs. What Georgia said, what Chris Carr, the attorney general here, said, he said this. Georgia risks significant potential harm. Another state's encroachment on Georgia's authority to regulate elections in the state. The courts granting this preliminary injunction, which would stop the Electoral College from taking action on Monday, would create a precedent of allowing one state to reach into the internal political affairs of another in a way that no state has ever done before. And then he says, imagine the distrust and discouragement that would bloom here if voters understood that their votes could be nullified by a different state. Patricia?
0: So I was um, with Mike Pence yesterday in Augusta. Uh, he came for a rally on behalf mm-hmm. of Senators Leffler and Purdue, And the very first Thing that he said to the crowd was, God bless Texas. And the crowd went crazy and loved it and said, yes, exactly right. I, I'm very sure, I'm reasonably sure that the crowd was not putting two and two together, um, that the vice president was talking about the lawsuit that is suing their own state to overturn their own Votes obviously wouldn't overturn their votes, but it would overturn the state's election results. Um, I mean, there's so many layers of irony that Texas once tried to secede um, so that they wouldn't have to have anybody interfering in their affairs, and now they're suing the state of Georgia. Um, And it does seem political and it does seem like a publicity stump, but then it starts to have real effects. It has a real effect on the supporters of the president, and it has a real effect on Um, on pressuring local lawmakers to start to make real changes in our voting laws and how our secretary of state is chosen and what kind of access to the ballot do people have. Um, And it's being supported by 17 other states and supported by more than half of the Republicans in Congress. And so it starts to have a domino effect of real changes, potentially, for a lawsuit that really seems designed just to appease one person. And I think that is where it, it really starts to get uh, problematic.
1: And, and Michael Thurman, uh, to add to the numbers of Republicans out there who are supporting this Texas lawsuit, uh, put in, I think, about half the Republicans in the uh, uh, state Uh, Senate uh, Republican delegation. I mean, Patricia's right. This thing is uh, uniting Republicans around overturning the results of what was it, by all accounts, a a fair and honest election.
3: Well, Patricia cast it, I think, extremely well. Uh, First of all, is it really to overturn uh, the Biden election? Or is it just to strengthen and reaffirm the Republican base? Uh, You know, even Mm -hmm. though Biden, which we all celebrate, at least I do as a Democrat, won the presidency, (laughs) what Republicans are calculating is that they made progress in the House as well, possibly, depending on these last two races, held their own in the Senate. So that's the calculation. And they don't necessarily see a total defeat uh, first Tuesday in November. And the real question is, is can they continue to hold on to this uh, base and the Republican base uh, at the federal and as well as in these state legislatures uh, across the country? They believe that they and they did actually uh, make progress at the state and local level. So it's just a pure Uh, Darwinian calculation on politics. It's hardcore politics. It's not about legal remedies. It's about calculations in this new Mm. post-Trump environment. And Trump is trying to hold on to his base as well. So I give no credence to any legal remedy that may be available to them today, tomorrow, or any time in the future. This is all about politics, politics, politics and how they can exist and continue to maintain themselves with a Democratic president in the White House.
2: Yeah, I, I, let me, if, if I could toss in a couple extra thoughts. Number one, uh, of course, as, as you mentioned, uh, uh, Attorney General Chris Carr has come out uh, dead set against the, the thought that Texas might reach in and tell us how to do our business. Uh, Carr is chairman of the Republican Attorneys General Association. Uh, I mean, it's this I mean, it's, uh, it's it's a it's a very active group. And so it's it's worth noting that that on Tuesday, uh, President Trump reached out and gave him a what what, what a, a very polite warning uh, call. Uh, Basically, you know, uh, basically saying, okay, you have to have you you, you've chosen your position. You you uh, you've declared this out of bounds. I don't want you getting uh, I don't want you recruiting members of uh, of of the RAGA to your side, which I think is I I thought what I thought was 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 very significant. Uh, And and it's also remember, we have a a, a separate lawsuit uh, filed by Trump. Uh, and and uh, 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 Georgia GOP chair David Schaefer uh, challenging the the results of, of Georgia's contest and there's a line in there that's very interesting and that is that it, it basics I'm, I'm paraphrasing here but it says that that voters uh, that, that the citizens of the state have a right to a an an election system that protects them from voter dilution. Not voter fraud, voter dilution. Uh, and and you know on the stump, they've been arguing that 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 voter fraud does dilute uh, the the, uh, uh, the 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 impact of 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 uh, eligible voters. But dilution can have many forms and dilution has occurred in Georgia simply because we've added a million voters to the rules in the last year and one one wonders whether that's going to be uh the 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 georgia gop and other republicans in other states are shifting toward that position see so edward i want to get you in here but let's explain what jim just said i mean
1: one form of dilution of course is Based, what the Republicans would basically suggest is that if people who are not eligible to vote go ahead and cast ballots, it dilutes the impact of those who are, in fact, legal voters. That's one way you can interpret dilution. But another way, as Jim suggests, when you talk about a million voters, is dilution, especially from a Republican point of view. Also, is when you expand the voter base uh, to include new residents of the state, minorities who are now registering in larger numbers, Asians, Hispanics. Right. I mean, there's another form of diluting potentially the Republican uh, 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 vote. Edward, jump in.
4: <laughs> well, that the, the, there, there's a lot to unpack with that. Uh, uh, first off, the, in terms of the importance of the Georgia lawsuit uh, as it relates to the Texas lawsuit, one of the, the key points uh, that the state of Georgia raises, and it's a very good point, is that there is already a remedy. Uh, for uh, someone who believes that the Georgia results are wrong, and that is seeking redress in the Georgia courts rather than <laughs> one state suing another state in the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, regarding delusion, I'm, I, I believe that the Georgia lawsuit simply dealt with delusion in terms of the threat of uh, voter fraud, which is a legitimate concern, uh, even though I don't believe that there's uh, sufficient evidence out there to support Uh, that fraud was involved in the final outcome here in Georgia. I think Mr. Biden won here in Georgia. Number three point that you raised, you know, it it does go to the challenge that uh, Republicans have in this state, uh, and that is to uh, go after those uh, emerging uh, minority groups uh, that have uh, taken hold and have moved into the state of Georgia. Uh, No party uh, can exist by... Uh, permanently excluding one group or another from their big tent. And that's one thing that I've been preaching for a long time, that Georgia Republicans need to be focusing on the big tent uh, attitude and philosophy of Ronald Reagan rather than trying to dice up a smaller and smaller pie. Uh, And that's going to be the challenge for Republicans over the next decade.
1: So, uh, Mike, let me bring you and Patricia in, but, but let me frame uh, the next part of our conversation with this. What's interesting, too, about this Texas lawsuit is that the supporters of Donald Trump ha- seem to have now abandoned yet another attack on the election, that attack being that there was a great deal of fraud. The Texas lawsuit isn't about fraud. The Texas lawsuit attacks the rules that were put in place by states like Georgia for uh, putting, allowing votes to take place. It's not a fraud suit. It's a suit about states like Pennsylvania add rules that uh, uh, that were not properly uh, uh, put into place for So so they seem to have abandoned the fraud argument, although. It is also true that the suit that that Jim talked about, uh, the uh, David Schaefer lawsuit, which is now before the 11th Circuit again, does talk about fraud. Mike?
3: Uh, Back in my days as a trial lawyer, I think the term was red herring. This whole idea of overturning the election (laughs) that Biden actually won is just a red herring to draw attention and anger and frustration. Let me tell you what this sounds like to me. Uh, When I thought about, when I was most engaged in vote dilution issues was my last year in the Georgia legislature as chairman of the Black Caucus uh, in the 90s when we, uh, and you were there, Bill, when we were engaged in reapportionment. Remember now, we have a solid conservative majority in the U.S. Supreme Court. What is going to occur over the next 24 months throughout the United States of America is reapportionment. And as I stated earlier, there was progress made in the state legislatures as it relates to Republicans being elected. That was one of the hopes that we had as Democrats, is that we could at least win at least one or both for governorship leading into reapportionment. So now you have an issue of dilution that's laying a foundation for reapportionment that may ultimately be decided by a very Republican Supreme Court, a very conservative Supreme Court. So to me, that is actually setting the stage for an effort by legislatures that are controlled by Republicans to quote, prevent the dilution of certain voters in terms of how uh, districts are going to be reapportioned in the next uh, uh, reapportionment process. So I see this as just a prelude to reapportionment that may end up being litigated in the federal courts where Trump and others have installed numerous scores of conservative judges. So that's my take on it. Uh, it's not so much about Trump in the presidential election. It's about what happens next.
1: Um, I know I want to get Patricia, but Edward, you really want to respond to that, I think, and then we'll move on. Yeah, two, yeah, two points. Uh, one, a defense uh, of Republicans and how they've
4: handled reapportionment, and also a warning to Republicans on how they uh, might want to try to deal with report, reapportionment. Uh, you know, since the creation of the Voting Rights Act, there was only one decennial uh, reapportionment that was ever pre-approved. Uh, and that was the maps that were created by the Republicans in 2011 uh, and was approved by um, President Obama's Justice Department. And I think that needs to be remembered, is that Republicans stayed within the lines in 2011, and even the Democratic uh, Justice Department accepted it. The warning that I'll give uh, to my friends in the Republican Party is don't try to do what Michael Thurman is afraid of. Uh, uh, and Georgia has a very good history for Republicans to look at and what not to do, and that is what Democrats did in 2001 when they drew the maps that were so egregious that it aggravated and angered a lot of uh, voters here in Georgia and and led to Republicans finally uh, taking control of the governor's mansion, uh, lieutenant governor's office, and the House and the Senate to in large part, I believe, uh, to the Democrats' overreach in 2001. So. So there's a defense and both a warning to my to my fellow
1: Republicans. Um, we're going to have plenty of time to talk reapportionment in the uh, weeks and months ahead because uh, that won't be done during, I assume we're going to be looking at a special session uh, once the yeah, census uh, completes its reporting. Um, so we'll have a lot of time to talk about it. But it is uh, interesting that you go harken back to the Roy Barnes governor's uh, governorship when, in fact, it's true that Democrats really did push through uh, lines that were that outraged a great many Republicans in the state and uh, may have had some impact on whether Barnes won re-election in some quarters. Patricia, let me turn to um, the other story that really popped yesterday, and you've already mentioned it briefly. Um, after a hearing in the House yesterday, the state House, in which the Trump- Attorneys got a chance to once again spin their stories about the fraudulent Georgia election. Speaker David Ralston announced something rather remarkable. He said, We are going, he wants to see a constitutional amendment introduced in the upcoming session that will give the legislature the power to appoint the Secretary of State, take it out of the hands of voters. It would no longer be an elective position. And he makes no excuses or or in no way hides the fact that he believes this needs to be done because he's angry at Brad Raffensperger. He thinks that Brad Raffensperger took some actions in both the June 9th primary and in the general election uh, that hurt Republicans. Mm-hmm. And uh, and now he's looking at payback, Patricia
0: yes um uh, the speaker I think has been very frustrated with rappenberger uh, as have many many Republicans in the state especially at the local level um, after he sent out absentee ballot applications to all active voters um he, said he did that because of the pandemic um I think certainly that is a Uh, a position that many people thought was very reasonable. Um, But he did that over the objections and to the great anger of uh, state Republican leaders in some cases who um, felt like that was really going to change the makeup of the people voting. Uh, It would uh, encourage a number of people who might not otherwise go to the polls to say, oh, I could just do it from here in my living room. Um, And obviously, if you've been elected under one system, you would like to keep those rules in place. So that you continue to be reelected, to add a level of um, uncertainty is uh, greatly problematic to people who are elected officials, um, and so that has been, I think, uh, uh, an undercurrent of Republicans' frustration with Rappenberger since um, the beginning of uh, of this whole process. And um, but you're getting into now we're talking more about these real changes from uh, that could. That could happen um, in a matter of weeks because the legislature is starting up in January. The timing of this is just um, is, is so interesting and rather incredible because it creates this environment of what are we going to do about the election for this Republican um, General Assembly, when uh, by all measures, all court decisions, all counts and recounts, there was nothing wrong with the election on a, on a large scale that require legislative action. Um, also, the legislature, I think, will probably consider changes to um, voter ID for absentee ballots and may make some other changes. And that's all done under this umbrella of great frustration from the Republicans toward Raffensperger.
1: So uh, I want to throw it to a break, but before I do Jim, um, I said that this is payback by Roston, but there's something much more important than payback. This election made it clear to Republican members of the legislature that they don't have control unless they've got a loyal lieutenant in the Secretary of State's office. They don't have control of the election apparatus. They cede that to whoever the Secretary of State is, and that renders them somewhat powerless and leads to the problems they're now so concerned about, Jim.
2: Okay, well, let, let me if if we can unpack this just a little bit. Uh, number one, uh, uh, Ralston it, it put out that press release and said, in which he said he was going to to seek legislative control of the Secretary of State's office. After the first day of the hearing, in which uh, a House Governmental Affairs Committee was looking at 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 voting procedures, you had all the conspiracy theory uh, theorists there. You had Rudy Giuliani there. The one, per, uh, one, one entity you did not have there. Was uh, anyone from Brad Raffensperger's office? Uh, uh, they they testified to the Senate last week. This time they said no, they weren't coming because uh, because uh, because of uh, the lawsuit that that, that that Trump Trump filed. Uh, Ralston is very protective of the status of of his of his chamber. And, and it, it's very clear that that, was, that, that that was a very strong motivation for him. Uh, number uh, then here, here's why I, I'm not sure that, it, uh, that it's all that serious here. Number one, a constitutional amendment would, were, would require a two-thirds vote in both chambers. Uh, and that's going to be very, very hard to get. Uh, number two, I'm not sure that you, you're going to have a governor who wants the legislature to have the power to appoint the secretary of state. If anybody's going to grab that power, I think it's going to be the governor who does that. So so there's going to be some competition if this actually comes comes to term. Lastly, voters don't like to be told that they can't vote for somebody. They've tried it with the ed- state school superintendent, it's never worked.
1: Okay, I got to get to a break, but obviously this is an interesting subject to pursue, and you've laid out three reasons why it is, Jim. I know Mike Thurmond is uh, waving, saying, I'd like to get into this, so would Edward Lindsay. So let's do this. Let's get a break out of the way and come back, continue our conversation on today's Political Rewind.
4: Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today.
1: Patricia Murphy, Michael Thurman, Edward Lindsay, Jim Galloway with me today on Political Rewind. Um, As we go back to our conversation, let me quickly point out that even while we're dealing with all these terrible political problems, um, coronavirus here in Georgia continues to spike um, in in a really awful way. Uh, The Department of Public Health reported that yesterday we had 6,126 new confirmed cases of the virus, the seven-day rolling average, which is a much truer picture of where things stand, is at 4,148. And and I mention that in part because we are not going to forget about how important talking about the virus is to all of you out there. And on Monday's show, we're going to have a just a wonderful panel of people. Uh, uh, public health experts talking about the vaccine and what to expect from that and where Georgia is headed in terms of trying to mitigate uh, the problems we're facing right now. That's coming up on Monday's show. OK, um, so so Jim Galloway makes the, the clear point, Edward Lindsay, that the, the ability of the speaker to get a constitutional amendment on uh, the secretary of state being an appointed office is pretty Uh, Remark. Pretty limited. He doesn't really have the power to do it. So what? This becomes a shot across the bow, an effort by the House leader to assert that uh, he's not happy with the way things went, and he expects uh, the Secretary of State to do better in the years ahead. Edward?
4: Well, I found myself, at the beginning of the show, you you discussed with me the uncomfortable position some Republicans have been in when they come on your show over the last few weeks, and this is one of them. Uh, because I found myself in a situation where I've got uh, a very good friend, uh, Speaker David Ralston, on one side, and Brad Raffensperger, whose conduct uh, in the election and since the election I greatly admire, uh, and 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 I think that uh, uh, that folks in Georgia ought to recognize the courage that he has undertaken, as well as the governor, the lieutenant governor, and now the AG. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is, we've been struggling for a long while in Georgia on who should oversee our, our elections and the question how to do it. Uh, but like Jim mentioned, I, I don't see as a practical matter, uh, even if it got to the voters, the voters uh, turning away from the elected secretary of state. Jim pointed out accurately the what happened the last time we tried to restrict uh, voters' ability to elect state officials when uh, they rejected handily the, 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 the mm-hmm. attempt to make the uh, state school board superintendent um, appointed. And that was defeated. Jim, you were around, and I wasn't. It was like a
2: two-to-one vote, if I remember correctly. It, it was, and that was the second time they tried it.
4: Yeah. So, you know, I, I, yeah. I just don't see the voters. But voters will vote for anything, and they will fight uh, to the death anybody's attempt to take away their right to vote for a job whether it be secretary of state or clerk of the, of, of, of the court or whatever else. But I do also want to touch on one thing that Patricia said regarding voting in Georgia. Uh, keep in mind that it's been Republicans that have expanded the, the ease in which people can vote in Georgia. And I was there in 2006, I think it was, when we opened up uh, uh, absentee voting for any reason. Uh, we also opened up early voting. And, and whatnot. And it gets back to a warning that I gave to Republicans earlier in the show going, don't appear to be restricting people's uh, vote, uh, whether it be through redistricting or through voting methods. Uh, that's dangerous and that will anger voters. And I certainly hope that my friends in the legislature don't do that. It's one thing to tweak, but it's another thing just to look like you're pulling back uh, on people's ability to vote.
3: But if I can jump in, you Mike- be- Yeah, if I can jump in. First of all, I want to segue to something you said. To me, it's an embarrassment for our state's leaders to be focused and engaged in this kabuki theater uh, in terms of this uh, positioning for a post-Trump political world when you have tens of thousands of Georgians being negatively impacted by the COVID virus. It's an embarrassment when you really consider the reality here. Uh, This idea about the legislature... It's just what you said. It is a shot across the bow. But the one thing I want to push back, uh, Wilf, in terms of the the way that the Secretary of State has comported himself in the conduction of the and how the election was conducted, let's not forget that uh, he's also launched an investigation in the fair fight. Uh, He's also gone on record as supporting restricting access to the voting process and absentee voting. So, you know, let's not just passed the white hat around and said, this guy, no. And what this is really about, to be quite, and from my estimation, of course, I, no one asked me uh, to for advice, but this is about who is going to control Georgia politics in the post-Trump era. And so you have a fight between the governor and the secretary of state, the lieutenant governor, uh, the speaker, and other Republican leaders fighting for position and power and control in a post-Trump environment, and more particularly, who will be uh, looked upon, or who will be elevated to lead the uh, Trump voting uh, block here in the state. So that's what this is. It's, it's not, it has little or nothing to do with voter access or anything of that nature. This raw politics, and it's about twenty twenty.
1: Yeah, I mean, Galloway has written about whether you know we see Doug Collins uh, uh, challenge uh, uh, Brian Kemp in a in a primary uh, and other you know permutations of that. Uh, perhaps a challenge to Jeff Duncan by say um, uh, 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 David. Uh, I, I'm sorry, by um, who am I thinking about? Jim, the chairman Schaefer. of the party right now. Schaefer. I'm blocking. David Shaffer. Thank you, thank you, Patricia. Jump in, jump in, um, Patricia
0: so the other election that could really be affected of course is on january 5th i mean the voters i saw yesterday the the voters i saw yesterday do not believe that the vote was fair do not think that trump lost this election and they believe that because the president has told them that over and over and over and um some, many people said, well, I'm going to vote anyway, you know, because like, we can't let the Democrats win. But then some people said, I just don't know. And other people said, well, I just want to see what Purdue does from here on out. I want to see what Loeffler does from here on out. So there is not all of this chaos is having an effect on the Trump supporters. And the only single effect it's having that is unifying them is to continue to support President Trump, it has an incredibly um, disastrous, chaotic effect for how they feel about Republicans down ballot. And I think that is a major problem for the Republican Party um, to deal with, because uh, when you have uh, essentially the president, who is still the leader of these of these people, telling them horrible things about Republicans down ballot, and also telling them that the ballots they passed have been rigged against them, there's really no way to predict what happens on January 5th with that.
1: So, uh, Jim, uh, I want to move on to what we might see in the legislature this session in terms of what's been happening with voting. But before I do, I do want to say something that I think I hope is a balancing point uh, to what Edward said. He's right. Of course, we saw Brian Kemp expand the ability of people to register to vote. You could do it on your cell phone. That's all well and good. And and that has been successful. I think it's fair to say at the same time uh, today. Uh, litigants are in federal court, uh, voting rights groups, insisting that the purging of voters, uh, a couple hundred thousand or more, by the Republican Secretary of State, Brian Kemp, uh, was an illegal action. And the court is going to look at that and and make a decision as to whether that purge was, in fact, uh, a suppression of voters. So there's two sides to that story as well. But, Jim, if we could, let's talk about what we're hearing from Republicans In the legislature, about the changes they may make in how we vote. One of them is going to come, could come even before the legislature convenes. There's a lawsuit that David Schaefer and the RNC uh, has uh, filed uh, that would restrict the 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 hours in which drop boxes could be available for people to place is turn in their ballots for the January 5th runoff. They want to restrict it to business hours, despite the fact. These boxes are supposed to be monitored by video cameras 24 hours a day, so they even start there with an action that precedes whatever they might take on in the legislative session, and we can talk about those issues too. Jim?
2: yeah um and and uh, we need to bring the in the lawyer on this particular lawsuit because I th- I think what's happening and and Edward can tell me if, I, if I'm wrong is is that you, you you've got uh, the 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 RNC and 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 I think the state GOP and I think Purdue and Leffler have signed on to it too I'm not sure uh they are raising questions about uh, about uh the, the legalities of of of, of Georgia's voting system and courts are generally speaking if if you're going to do that you have to do that before the votes are cast not after the votes are cast you have much less standing if you if you're silent until after the votes taken but if you file a lawsuit challenging those things before the votes counts i think th- in other words i think they may be laying the groundwork for a potential challenge after january 5 uh, but on the on the on the on the larger question, you do have you, you have had a recent state Republican caucus meeting where there was talk about doing away with with the with the the no excuse absentee ballot. And, and I think, the uh, Edward, I think I think that was 2004 uh, and it was the first it was first used in 2006. Yeah. Interesting background on that is this is this this occurred during the voter ID fight. And, and Republicans knew the voter ID fight was going to be challenged. and and one of their one of their solutions that they presented to the court was the no excuse absentee ballot. Uh, they, they said that that, that, that you know if, if, if Democrats were going to say that the, the voter ID law discriminated against, discriminated against the poor or people who couldn't get proper ID, uh, the no excuse ballot was their their excuse was, was, was their their uh, solution there.
4: Well, actually, the voter ID bill was passed in two thousand five when I was there, mm-hmm. uh, and as well as the absentee, I believe, as well. Mm-hmm. And the uh, irony is, it, it was the Democrats in two thousand five that were arguing that uh, that we shouldn't be expanding uh, absentee ballots because that was problem. Uh, as a problem. And matter of fact, they filed a lawsuit about that. Jim's point is <laughs> actually is absolutely correct when it comes to trying to change the rules in the middle of a voting process. Uh, you know, if you, if you want to question the, the efficacy or legality of a particular uh, rule in terms of how voting is done, you do it before the voting starts and not afterwards. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's one reason why so many of uh, President Trump's lawsuits have been kicked out of court was the fact that uh, he's only come after the, the, the voting is over and claimed that the, that the methodology was wrong um and you know gets back to what we talked about earlier um you know we've got a lot of folks with some knee-jerk reactions and hopefully the legislature will go slow regarding any potential changes that's my one hope
0: uh well bill also um so, I can't remember who said it earlier, but somebody earlier was talking about the existential crisis for the GOP right now. All of this inciting—the um, real existential crisis—is that the state is changing, and the state is becoming more diverse, and the Republican Party, so far, is not answering that change in, in any in any other way that other than looking like they're trying to change who's voting, but not acknowledging who is here. And I talked to a demographer, it was a long time ago. It was when Jason Carter was running and um, asking a demographer, where, where do you think the state is heading? Do you think Jason Carter has a chance right now? The answer was no, not really. Um, like, But this, this change is coming to Georgia and Democrats will eventually start to win because they just don't make old white guys the way they used to. And that's, the reality. Um, And I think the the Republican Party has a number of problems on their hands. And that, um, as Ed said earlier, that is one of the biggest ones.
1: Mike, let me give you a chance to jump in before I have to get to a final break.
3: Well, I agree with Patricia and Ed. uh, The reality is uh, we're in a new world order uh, in terms of the state politics. Uh, what the Republicans and others will have to do is what type of leaders can actually be successful in this environment. They're trying to create a set of rules so that they can continue to be successful uh, in terms of the people who are currently in office. And uh, But it's an interesting to watch. Uh, I'm enjoying the sideshow. Uh, unfortunately, it's not necessarily in the best interest of what Georgians need right now. And what we really need is leadership to mitigate and fight back against this dual-pronged crisis, which is health and economic. We had a huge increase in unemployment claims this past week. But rather than focusing on getting Georgia's back to work, we're trying to re-change the rules of the game in the middle of while while the clock is still running. It's a sad, sad testament, really, in terms of where we are right now in state leadership.
1: So, so Michael, before I get to the break, I'm sorry. I've known you for a very long time and watched your political career for, what, 30-plus years. I cannot imagine you're really enjoying watching what's unfolding right now because what's unfolding right now, many people believe, is an attempt to subvert the democratic process.
3: Well, and the difference for me, Bill, to be honest with you, I'm not taking it overly seriously, to be honest with you, is kabuki theater, as I said, uh, I don't believe in the heart of hearts. That the people who are filing the lawsuits, they study and read the law just like and Lindsay does. There's not a snowball chance that any of these suits are going to be successful. These are political strategies being played out. So it's a mistake, I think, to, to overly obsess on, on the legal implications and to miss out on what's really playing out in the political sphere, which is what this is really all about.
1: That said, Joe Biden will take office with a vast majority of Republicans believing that he is an illegitimate president and the impact that could have on his ability to lead the country. We have got to watch unfold. Let's get to our final break of the show. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Uh, Jim Galloway, one of the things and, that uh, uh, people have been writing to me about lately is um, that the Trump effort to overturn the results of the election are paying as much attention to it as we have. The fact that Republicans in the state are fighting has really dominated. Patricia talked a minute ago about, hey, let's not forget what all this means in terms of the Senate runoffs. And one of the real problems here, and I think I think we at Political Rewind have to take shoulder some of the blame for this, is that. We have no idea about—there are no issues being debated in this runoff election, it doesn't seem to me. I mean, they do—each of the candidates does have positions on issues, but we're certainly not hearing them talk a great deal about them. And that's really troubling, Jim.
2: I, well, look, it's this is where we are. This is not a I mean, th- this is about identity. It's about tribalism. It's whose people who, is, is whose people are going to, to win on January 5. Is it our group or is it their group? And 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 you're right. There aren't many, uh, many issues being being discussed. No one is talking about health care in any sub- substantive way. Uh, no one is is is. Uh, 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 basically, you, I mean, the the only thing consistent out of out of uh, Loeffler and Purdue is, you know, radical liberal socialist, uh, uh, Ossoff and, and and Warnock. It is, uh, it it's, uh, you you know, it's it, it's kind of strange, uh, uh, you know. 10 20 years ago you know in in our newsroom it was it you know we we have to let voters know about the issues we have to go go deep into into transportation into into the economy into jobs and all that has been stripped away it 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 it, it is just it is yeah. it, it's an us them situation now Patricia, you've been out on the campaign
1: trail, so you would know better than any of us how much how much talk is there among the candidates about about the issues, about uh, about health care, for example, um, about any of the other issues that um, matter as we move forward. Uh,
0: There is actually a lot of talk about issues. Um, There is a lot of talk, especially on the Democratic side, about health care, about covid uh, and also on the Republican side, the Republican senators talk quite a bit about the COVID relief that they voted for, $3 trillion of COVID relief in six weeks um, earlier this year. Um, so there is a lot of talk about these issues. Um, I have to tell you, though, the response among Voters is really about the conflict and the existential crisis in the way way that it's framed. And I think everybody on this call knows there's just such a difference between probably what uh, what people would be saying if they weren't in an election and and if they were just talking about what they really care about. Um, And policies do come up a lot. But uh, in order to win an election and drive voters and get people out to the polls, They are talking in the starkest possible terms about the potential ruin of America if the other side wins. And that's not really a healthy environment, but that's that's also what gets covered in the media. Typically, Um, we write a lot at the AJC about policy, um, but I'd say a lot of interest is in um, the
1: sideshow. Mike, what's interesting about some of this is that we know that in 2018, Democrats talking about health care made big inroads in congressional races here and around the country. And yet, uh, again, it's all about uh, poisoning the well for the other side. We
3: would all do well to remember that a key to Joe Biden victory was that he elevated the discussion as well as the platform and argument to talking about what we can do to address some of the issues uh, to went beyond the tribalism to talk about the best interests of America, not the red, blue states. And if that, I think, will be the key to victory, not just on January 5th, but also going forward in the foreseeable future.
1: Ed, we got one minute to give you a chance to summarize that. In fact, a little less than that. So take a quick shot.
4: I'm going to close out with the words of Theodore H. White, who wrote, you know, The the Making of the Presidents. uh, And sort of build on what Michael said. Uh, The choice offered in an American election is never a choice of programs and specifics. It is simply a setting of direction, an attempt by two candidates to point the different ways they hope to go. In America, people vote not on program, but on what they sense the inclination and direction of the candidates to be
1: and that's uh i edward Lindsay. Said. what a perfect way what a perfect way thank <laughs> you for quoting th white at an important moment. edward Lindsay, patricia murphy michael thurman and jim galloway thank you so much uh, for a great show today jim i'll see you back here on uh, monday i i did want to take we're, we're not quite out of time but but uh, there are a few remarks that i've been reflecting on that i really was hoping to share with you at the end of today's show um Last night was the first night of Hanukkah, which uh, is also known as the Festival of Lights. Most of you know that over eight nights, Jewish families light candles on a menorah to celebrate the continued triumph of Jews over centuries of adversity. Menorahs are supposed to be put in a window where the burning candles can be seen by passers-by because they're seen as a symbol of hope and faith in the darkness of night. Right now, the streets in my neighborhood are lined with houses decorated with Christmas lights, which serve the same basic purpose as the menorah, really, to give good cheer, to mark a period of celebration. With the pandemic raging around us, with our chaotic politics casting doubt on our belief in what our country actually stands for, for me, the simple act of carrying out holiday traditions is really moving. It signals our faith in continuity, our determination to carry on with some small semblance of normalcy. It seems to me it's so easy to become dispirited and feel hopeless as we live through these troubled times. Our politics are poisonous. Our faith in the bedrock principles of what we stand for as a country are being te- is being tested. And I suspect that you, like me, may sometimes ve- feel very sad about life right now. So last night, while I was staring at my menorah, I reflected on a few things that are giving me small comfort in difficult times. And here's just a couple that randomly came up for me. They're not equal in scope or magnitude, but they do remind me that the world continues to have elements worthy of celebration and joy. The Marcus Foundation announced yesterday that Bernie Marcus is giving an $80 million gift to the Shepherd Spinal Center, which is a sign that philanthropy lives on. My family and I discovered an inspiring Netflix show that documents the remarkable journey of an integrated group of incredible gospel singers at a black church in Hampton Roads, Virginia, as they try to form a choir so that they can praise Jesus. And yes, yesterday Taylor Swift announced that after two months only, uh, bef- having released her previous record, Folklore, she is dropping a second record that, again, was produced entirely while she shelters in place, and we're all going to look forward to that at midnight tonight. These are small comforts in difficult times, and I hope you'll take a moment to remind yourselves of the good things, large and small, that the world holds for all of us. That's it for us. Take care. Stay healthy. Stay healthy. Please wear a mask. See you Monday.